This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And welcome back to another episode of the Cool Your Jets podcast. We're your host, Ben Blessington and Michael Nania. Michael, I will say that two weeks ago, or maybe it was three weeks ago, I think it was after the Broncos game, I got on the mic and with our intro, I sounded like fairly happy, just, you know, kind of normal. And then you, you stopped me and you said, well, you, you should sound more down. I mean, we're 0-4. I was like, oh, okay, okay. So then we redid it. And then last week I got on and I sounded kind of down and Michael got on the mic and he said, well, you should sound more up. I mean, now we're 0-5. We're in the driver's seat for the first round, for the first overall pick and Trevor Lawrence. This week, I think, Michael, you have to be ecstatic because both the Giants and the Falcons won. And now the Jets are really in the driver's seat. They control their own destiny, not in the way that you would generally hope for, um, in a football season, but the Jets are now in sole possession of that number one pick. Still 10 weeks to go. A lot could happen. There's a lot of bad teams this year. Um, but Michael, how are you feeling? I mean, it, it feels like all of the hurt, um, you know, and those negative emotions we had towards the Jets' feelings, we've got them out of our system. And now it's just about hoping for them to lose and hoping to get that number one pick. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of just apathy at this point. You're just watching. And I mean, like, you expect them to lose pretty much. I mean, the fact that in the first quarter you can kind of just lock it down that the Jets are going to get blown out, lose by multiple scores, and there's never even a doubt the rest of the game is pretty much sums it up. So I think, like you said, um, we expect them to lose every week. And, you know, if, you know, the Giants and the Falcons picked up their wins, now the Jets are alone in the number, in the race for the number one pick as only win this team in the league. So, I mean, I guess that's a positive. I think that Getting Lawrence is probably the most positive thing you can get out of this. And of course, the development of many different young players who could help you going forward is extremely important as well. But the ultimate prize definitely would be getting Lawrence. And, you know, it was a good day in that respect. Yeah, I mean, I would say that this is, and I'm sure many Jets fans feel the same way, or at least I hope they do. This might be the healthiest Jets football has ever been for me because they're so bad that there's no hope. They can't break my heart. Unless somebody goes down with a devastating injury, I pretty much just laugh at any bad play that happened. Pretty much since week one. Week one, I was pretty disappointed. But since week two, every single bad play, I just laugh at how incompetent um, the coaching is in this team and obviously the talent uh, and just how bad of a football team they are. So I would say this is actually healthier than in seasons past where, where they find a way to, you know, like 2018 where they weren't a good team, but just remember they did start three and three, you know, and even when they lost the Vikings, they're three and four, there was still hope that they could kind of turn it around, at least in the middle part of that season, this year's jets. I mean, they've just been so bad from the start that there's, there's no hope. And, and thus the, no pain. Um, before we hop into the podcast, we have a little bit of a mailbag. Michael and I will talk about the game against uh, the dolphins. Um, 
we are now officially sellouts. We do have uh, a sponsorship now, Michael. Um, and I would say that, that I, I'm pretty excited um, to have an opportunity to work with the brand. Um, the brand is Manscaped. You, you may have heard of them uh, in the news as, as Ian Rappaport did get suspended for, for promoting them on his uh, socials. I, I don't think Jets X Factor will, will suspend us, Michael. So I think we can make this ad. But 20% off and free shipping if you use the code CoolYourJets at Manscaped.com. Um, you can look them up, but good brand, um, great people. And we are now officially sellouts here at Cool Your Jets. Um, but Michael, let's hop right into it because this past Sunday's game against the Dolphins. And look, I mean, they just play the Dolphins one more time this season. And I think we did this exercise last week, but we went through every single game remaining on their schedule. And we said, where can the Jets pick up a win? And the one game that we, and I think you said that you thought they could pick up two or three. Uh, I'm, you know, at the beginning of the season, I thought they might, but pretty much since last week, I thought, it's really only one game that I thought they could pick up and that would be home versus the dolphins. And considering that the dolphins just shut the jets out and made them look arguably the worst they've looked all season, probably offensively, at least pitching a 24 shutout to nothing shutout against a team that isn't a playoff contender in my mind, they could sneak in maybe, but um, this is a pretty depressing performance despite the fact that we don't care about it. I mean, it just really shows. And Joe Douglas's, you know, emotions in the press box were pretty much every single jets fan, uh, I love that they kept cutting to him. I hope they do that throughout the season. But I think it's it's pretty much a foregone conclusion that Adam Gase is gone. So, Michael, before we hop into the mailbag, let's let's talk about this because I think this is the biggest topic around the Jets, and that's the the discussion about firing Adam Gase. And two weeks ago, me and you were very on board with getting rid of Adam Gase, just getting him out of here, being able to watch Sam develop under a different coach. Um, and but we've waffled, I, I would say, a little bit. Um, because now we're at this point where we're 0-6. We've already sat through this. This is a lost season. There's no chance that the Jets could fire him and turn it around and go 9-7 and and sneak into the playoffs. There's really not much of a chance. They could fire him, and Jim Bob Cooter could take over, and Darnold could have a solid second half of the season. But me and you both agree that the best-case scenario for this Jets team is to get the number one overall pick. Me and you both agree that they would take Lawrence and trade Darnold for a second or third. But even if you're not there yet, you'd have to acknowledge that getting the number one pick and whether that's taking Lawrence or trading it for, for a ransom and building around Darnold is the best and pretty much the only way that this season was in any sorts worth it to, to watch Jets games this season. So, Michael, we've changed our tune. Now we're kind of all aboard of, of keeping Adam Gase for 10 more games, ensuring they get that number one pick, and then Joe Douglas can hire his, his own guy and decide what to do with that number one pick. But, Michael, I guess kind of talk about that thought process. Talk about or talk to the Jets fans that are so fed up with Adam Gase that are you know, hashtag fire Adam Gase under every single New York Jets post. Kind of give your rationale why the Jets shouldn't fire Adam Gase just yet. Well, I mean, from a Jets perspective, there's no reason they shouldn't fire him. He should have been fired a long time ago. And if you're Christopher Johnson and you're the organization and tanking is not on your mind, so firing him and, and if you're them, it should not be a debate at all. But from a fan perspective, I think if, if you do want Trevor Lawrence and you want the number one pick, then, I mean, Adam Gase cannot do a better job of pushing you towards that. They haven't even lost a game by eight points or less in their first six weeks, or only the sixth team ever to do that. So in terms of tanking and chasing Trevor Lawrence, Gase cannot do a better job than he's been doing. So if, if that is your top goal, then firing Gase definitely, or, or keeping Gase for the rest of the season, obviously not going into next year, uh, definitely helps out that. But still, I think if, if you're the Jets, and because we know teams don't tank. Teams don't lose on purpose, even though as fans, 
we hope to see that. I don't know about that. I mean, for the most part, for the most part, I don't think they do. But uh, well, let me, let me firing him still I would makes say, sense if you're them. But from a fan perspective, if Trevor Lawrence is what you want, that number one pick, then keeping him really, really helps you. Right. Yourself. I would say that players don't tank. I mean, there's not a player that's going to hit the field for the most part, unless you're, you know, 2016 Darrell Revis or last year Trent Johnson. Pretty much every player on that team is, is going to give their all. Um, but from a management perspective, and you could argue that Joe Douglas kind of did that. I mean, even just look at the trade of Jamal Adams. You do at times make decisions. You can look at your roster. I mean, he did get a six-year contract and say, look, we're not going to win a Super Bowl this year. So why would I sacrifice um, cap or whatever? Like, let's say the Jets, let's say he made a move to try to trade for A.J. Green. Like, yes, that might make your team better in the short run, but that's not in the big picture sense, what you would want for this Jets team. So I, I would, I would say that Joe Douglas kind of looked at this roster and said, look, we're either going to win with young players or we're going to be so bad that I can continue to build this roster. I mean, he looked at a decade of terrible drafting and knew this team was going to take a few years to turn around. I think me and you both, and as fans, we're always going to kind of be on the optimistic side. I really did feel like they were going to be better than um, last year. I did not see the defense regressing as much. I thought that Darnold could really take the next step in, a, in a, the same system but we both didn't believe in Gase and we both knew that there were some weaknesses on this team, specifically at corner at pass rusher um, at receiver. Um, so I would say that Joe, I wouldn't say that he's outright tanking, but at this point, I think he is looking at this and saying, look, that Trevor Lawrence pick looks pretty great. I mean, now is as good as time as any in probably NFL history to tank for that number one overall pick. You have no fans at the game. So nobody's wasting their money to go their money to go watch the game. Adam Gase isn't going to get loudly booed or the fire Adam Gase chants aren't going to be so loud that you can, you know, they're, they're deafening on TV. I did hear a few on, on Sunday. Um, and you have probably the best quarterback prospect to ever come out of the draft. That doesn't mean he's going to be the best quarterback ever, but as far as a quarterback prospect, I would argue that he was a better prospect than Manning and a better prospect than luck. Those two might be better quarterbacks than him in the end, but right now Trevor Lawrence is probably the best quarterback prospect to ever come out. Yeah, I think you're right. And Lawrence is definitely up there as one of the better prospects we've ever seen. And you can debate with him against Luck and Peyton Manning, but just the fact that he's in the conversation with those guys is uh, what makes him worthy of being a quarterback that you would want to tank for. And I think the Jets in this position, they just have so little going for them. They they do have their share of young pieces. There are, you know, quite quite a few players to be excited about for the future, as bad as they are. But um, so they're not a completely barren roster, but at the same time, they are in a really low spot and there's nothing that can pull you out of that quicker than a franchise quarterback prospect. And of course you do, you thought you had that in Sam Darnold and he absolutely could have been that. I thought this was going to be a breakout year for him, but just the team did a terrible job of supporting him with talent. The first few years, they picked the absolute worst coach they could have picked to support him. And now he's just been, he's damaged goods right now. He's really been broken down to a point where his regression is just, it's, it's really severe. It's going to be hard for him, not just to get back to where he was, but then once he's at that point, he's going to have to progress and become a good quarterback because, you know, it first he's going to have to get up to just being the Sam Darnold of old confident to take shots down the field, not just tucking and running, not missing basic intermediate and short throws and then once he does that, then he has to get back to where he was last year, improving his deep accuracy, improving his field vision. So he can take that leap from being a really talented guy physically to a really smart, intelligent, all around elite quarterback. So yeah. 
he's really regressed and it's going to take a lot of really good coaching and just very solid work to bring him back up. So he could still figure it out. And I, I'm sure he will find somewhere in the league where he'll become a, at least a decent starting quarterback. But if you're the jets and you have the choice between winning a couple, if you can map it out as a fan, you've the choice between Darnold shows a little bit of progress, wins a few meaningless games, uh, and then you're stuck picking fifth or sixth or whatever between that and just getting Trevor Lawrence, having an elite prospect to pair with a new coach who is probably going to be one of the best coaching uh, candidates because it will be very attractive if you get Trevor Lawrence uh, and get those guys on the same timeline. You don't have to worry about it's a first-year coach or the fourth-year quarterback. Uh, you get Lawrence's whole rookie contract instead of Darnold's upcoming situation. If you can map it out as a Jets fan, Trevor Lawrence is part of the quickest road to a Super Bowl from this point. So right. it's really a shame it didn't work out with Darnold. And it's not, it's mostly not his fault. Obviously, it's partially on him because it's his own performance, but it's mostly on the Jets for not supporting him. So it is a real shame. But at this point in time, getting that number one pick is part of the quickest road back to success, I think. Right. And I think we've been having these discussions about Trevor Lawrence probably since week three and and we have 10 more weeks of it, but you hit pretty much every single point. The biggest one that doesn't get talked, I mean, it gets talked about a little bit, but is the the head coaching part, because right now the Jets are viewed as a dumpster fire by literally every single person in the NFL. And if Darnold goes and wins two or three games, that's not going to change the perception that the Johnsons are terrible owners because I mean, they are terrible owners. It's not going to change the perception that it's, it's impossible to win in New York because the three and 13 season is still an awful season. But if you go and get the best quarterback prospect of all time, or at least you're staring at him with the number one pick, if I'm Eric Bieniemy or if I'm Arthur Smith or if I'm Brian Dable or whoever, I would say, you know what? Atlanta's attractive. Houston's attractive. But I'd put New York in that upper ring as well, just because you're in the league's largest market and you have this once-in-a-generation prospect, more so the once-in-a-generation prospect part. And when we talk about Darnold, I think I might be a little bit higher on him than you are because I do think he'll figure it out. I think that he will go to Chicago or San Francisco or Pittsburgh, whatever, uh, and figure it out. But you're banking on that. And it's are you willing to bet that Darnold is in year four with the fifth-year option, with a much more expensive contract, with a bad team, that's not going to win on his rookie deal. You're going to have to attract a new head coach. There's a lot of different factors is going to turn it around, or you're going to bet on this once in a generation quarterback prospect. And the thing with Darnold is I think after year one, maybe even after last year, I think me and you both thought that he could hit more so after year one, that he could hit that Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson echelon of quarterbacks. I'm not saying he was going to be as good as those, but I think me and you both thought, this is a guy that could be a top five quarterback in this league. I mean, that was at least what he was billed as, as coming out of USC is that he has a super high ceiling. I think at this point, I don't think he's a bust. I don't think he's going to be bad. I think he's not the problem with the team, but I think right now, I think he's probably more of a Matt Stafford type of quarterback in the best case scenario. There's still a chance that he's a Marcus Mariota or a Jameis Winston, but I think he'll go to a different team. And I think he'll probably be a a long-term starter for them. But when you look at the ways that you win a Super Bowl in today's NFL, there's really two ways. Either you have a super strong organization that is built you know, deep at every single position, a great culture, and you can put any sort of good quarterback in there and you plug them in and you can win a Super Bowl. You can at least have long-term success. Or you need a Patrick Mahomes, you need a Russell Wilson, you need an Aaron Rodgers. You need, you need that upper echelon quarterback. And I think I'm willing to say that I think Darnold is going to be a good quarterback in this league 
but I'm not willing to say that he's going to be a top five quarterback. I feel a lot more optimistic that Lawrence will be that guy. And because I'm not confident in the Jets at this point, I mean, it might take six or seven years before they're at the point where they have a deep roster with a great culture and a, you know, one of those top two organizations, they're a long ways away from that. The best chance for them to win a Super Bowl this decade is with a top tier generational quarterback prospect like Trevor Lawrence. And, and the other thing that I think, and Michael, maybe me and you can talk about this before we hop in the mailbag. Um, there's a lot of talk about, well, Trevor Lawrence should stay. If the Jets get the number one pick, he should spurn them like Peyton Manning did, or he should pull an Eli Manning and either stay at Clemson for his senior season or just say, tell New York he's not going to play for them, that they should trade the pick. And I think this is a, a dumb argument. And I think part of it's just the media wants to perpetuate this kind of same old Jets laughing stock, you know, cursed franchise. And I think Jets fans in general are just scarred because of Peyton Manning and because of that would be so Jets to be in the position to land the number one quarterback prospect ever. And he would, you know, leave them at the altar. And yeah, I mean, I, I definitely have those anxieties as well, but I would say, that I would say there's probably a 5% chance he does that. And Michael, let's break down some of the reasons. First of all, you already said that he's planning to come out and he graduates in December. So if he's staying, he's not like he's, you know, waiting to get his college degree, like Andrew Luck did at Stanford. He really is, is done with, with college. And he's been planning. You could argue since high school that this is the year 2020 was going to be his last season in college. And going into the season, Jacksonville was the team, and they still could be the team, the perennial team to get Trevor Lawrence. And you're telling me that Jacksonville is this amazing safe haven that's much better than the New York Jets. If Trevor Lawrence, and uh, my, I told Michael that I might have to write an article about this, so keep an eye out for, for this week. But if Trevor Lawrence goes to the league's biggest market and arguably one of the league's biggest cursed teams in the New York Jets, and he wins, let's put it this way. If you win in New York, you're a king. You're a king of New York. But if you win with the New York Jets, you're a god. I mean, there's no other team in the NFL that worships a former player like the Jets do with Namath. And I have to think that's somewhat more attractive than going to play with Jacksonville. One, you're going to have a different head coach. You're not going to be playing under Adam Gase. You're going to have a different GM than the one that built around Darnold. Yes, Darnold had Douglas for 16 months or so, but it was McCagnan's failures in the 2015, the 2016, the 2017 drafts to, to have a, a solid roster that he was entering. And then the 2018 and 2019 drafts and free agencies to build around him. So Joe Douglas gets a chance with his guy, first year rookie contract to build around him. And Michael, you've raised an excellent point, and you can take the baton from here, that what other great quarterbacks have the Jets ruined? Then, I mean, Sam Darnold is the one, and you can blame the Johnsons, you can blame Gaze, you can blame McCagden, and a little bit goes to Douglas as well. But really, the New York Jets are where quarterbacks go to die. Yeah, Geno Smith, Mark Sanchez, Browning Nagel, they have not had a quarterback to the talent of Trevor Lawrence, and the only one who's even close is Sam Darnold. And while that didn't go well, the guys who are going to be building around him outside of the Johnsons, and you could argue it might even be a different owner if Woody comes back, are going to be completely different than the guys who would theoretically be building around Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, there, there are a lot of uh, narratives surrounding Lawrence and the Jets that make no sense whatsoever and are just based around people making fun of the Jets because they think it's funny for some reason, but they make no sense whatsoever. So the first one is this notion that the Jets are going to ruin Trevor Lawrence and that if it would be this big tragedy if he gets to go there. Well, if you are the number one pick in the draft, you are going to the worst team in the NFL. That's how it works, unless the team trades for it, of course. But if a team does trade for it, that team is probably bad also. But if you're the number one prospect in the league, you're going to a bad team. And 
if he declared next year and skipped this year or whatever, he's still going to a bad team, whether it's Jacksonville, whoever it is, it's going to be an awful team. That's what happens when you're the number one prospect. So it's not like there's another situation that would be so much better than the Jets. So, and the other one is one that you brought up, uh, the fact that the Jets are this place, this franchise that just curses quarterbacks. It makes no sense. Yes, they did ruin Darnold, but that's on Adam Gates and Mike McKagan, who neither of whom are going to be here next year. Hopefully Adam Gase isn't here, but at least we know McKagan isn't, but 99% chance Gase isn't here. So that's on those two guys. I would say that's not on the franchise. Yeah. You, you saw Joe Douglas's face during that game. Hopefully, He's hopefully gone. Hopefully a hundred, but uh, that's on those two guys. That's not the franchise. You go back to the last quarterback they picked in the first round, Mark Sanchez, best offensive line in the league, best run game in the league, best defense in the league. Solid wide receivers could have done better there, but still very solid. Good tight end in Dustin Keller. And they could have won two Super Bowls if they had a better quarterback. Sanchez held them back those first two years. And look, you give him the first year, he's a rookie, but he never took that next step with pretty good support. So they did about as much as they could for him. Uh, and you could say we won about 2011, 2012, but I mean, they did as much as they could the first two years and he didn't figure it out. Just doesn't always work out they could barely have done more for him you go back to the last quarterback they picked in the first round chad pennington was a very good quarterback he just couldn't stay healthy and then before that they didn't pick one since uh, ken o'brien in the 80s and he was good um when he was playing obviously it wasn't dan marino but he was good also the problem with the jets and quarterbacks is that they haven't tried the, those are the last three quarterbacks they picked in the first round o'brien sanchez and chad pennington over three plus decades that's the problem. Not that they couldn't develop them because when they did, they did about as much as they could. And Pennington was good. O'Brien was good. Sanchez, they did as much as they could. So the fact that, the, or this notion that the Jets ruined quarterbacks makes no sense. You can go to Geno Smith. I mean, he wasn't going to be good anywhere else. He hasn't even started anywhere else. He got one start with the Giants and he was so bad. They took him right out and he hasn't started anywhere else since. Um, Christian Hackenberg, everyone knew that was going to be a bust. So again, that's on McCagnan, not the Jets as a franchise. So the Jets ruining quarterbacks, that it's not something they do. Right. And they've yeah. never had someone even close to as good as Trevor Lawrence. Or Darnold probably is close, maybe a tier or two lower. And again, but that's not on the Jets. It was Gase and McCagnan. So hopefully they do higher, better. And Douglas is a better GM. The coach they get is better than these guys. And it will be hard to be worse. But the Jets as a franchise are not a curse for quarterbacks. There's no evidence of that at all. Right. I would say that the Jets franchise is generally cursed when it comes to winning. But when it comes to developing quarterbacks, I mean, you're 100,000% right. I mean, it's just a stupid narrative that I think, look, I mean, the Jets are certainly a laughing stock, and I'm sure that Trevor Lawrence would rather go to the Giants or would rather go to Atlanta. But it's like he knew going into this, he was supposed to go to the Jacksonville Jaguars and play for that dumpster fire of a team. I mean, the Jets are a dumpster fire and probably equally as so as the, as the Jaguars. But look, look at Joe Burrow in Cincinnati. He's went to a team that doesn't even have an indoor practice facility and an offensive line that makes the Jets 2019 offensive line look, you know, outstanding compared to the way that he's been getting hit the first six weeks of the season. But Lawrence is going to come in and play behind a franchise left tackle and improving offensive line. One that would be even better than it was last year because the GM believes so much in, in that offensive line. There's, you know, it's, it's a dumb narrative. I get why people will talk about it, but it, let's be honest. If this were, you know, the Detroit lions as the number one team or the, you know, 
oh and six, the only win this team in the driver's seat for him, these articles would not be getting written. But the same thing would be true. Yes, any team that you're going to go to as the number one overall pick is going to be bad. The, I really can't recall a single good team finishing with the number one pick. You could say yeah, the Colts. Was the last time you said, oh, that, that guy getting picked number one is going to such a great situation. Baker Mayfield in Cleveland. That's, that's right. just a fantastic yeah, I mean, you roster. Could, you could say the Colts, I guess, when in 2011 when, when Peyton was out. But then still, Luck came back, and that was a team that I think they went 1-15 with Curtis Painter. But that team was clearly over the hill from their Super Bowl runs. Um, and, you know, Luck was behind a terrible offensive line for years after that. He wasn't surrounded well. It's part of the reason he retired early. But – yeah, I just think that narrative is dumb. Trevor Lawrence's stock is never going to be higher. I, I would imagine, even if he went back next year, he'd most likely be the number one pick again. But you never know. Maybe he blows out a knee. Maybe he doesn't play as well. He's a year and old. And, yeah, that, that's a big part of it, too. There's pulling out when you are an obvious number one pick is one of – and, look, if he does it, I'll definitely eat all of these words and cry with everyone else. But – Pulling out with a number one pick is one of the dumbest things that a prospect can do. If you're the guaranteed top pick, guaranteed to get the biggest contract of anyone in the class, and and you know you're going to get it, to to go back and risk injury, risk declining, and not that it would be likely for him, but injury is the biggest thing. Um, to to pull out of that when you're guaranteed it and risk injury is is just an incredible incredible risk to take. So it, yeah. it's just something that makes no sense and, and- at all. Go look at it and look, I'm sure Peyton Manning is, is happy with his decision um, to wait a year and then get drafted by the Colts. But keep in mind, he was going to another dumpster fire in Indianapolis. I mean, his rookie year, he led the league in interceptions. It took him a while before he could even get to a Super Bowl. But think about this. If he had come out in 97 and played for Parcells, first of all, the Jets went to the AFC championship in 98. And from 98, you could argue from 97 uh, until 2011, they were a respected franchise that went to had many playoff exp- uh, appearances three afc championship appearances i would argue that Peyton manning would have won a super bowl or two with the jets it would have worked out for him and i don't mean to say anything if he won a super bowl two in new york he'd be a bigger star than tom brady and you know so you can't always it's a straw man argument you never know i'm sure peyton is happy with his decision obviously but i'm just saying if he had come out for the jets and he he was the quarterback in 98 or he was the quarterback in, in 2010 or 20, 2009 or 2006 or any of those other years with good Jets teams, you know, I'm sure they would have won a Super Bowl, and I'm, and I'm sure he would have been an even bigger star in the league's biggest market with an incredibly loyal fan base like the Jets have. But let's hop into some of these mailbag questions, Michael, um, because we have quite a few sad Jets fans. So rapid fire, we'll, we'll fly through these. Last week, we took our time on them, but this week, we'll, we'll try to keep it um, short. At Sammy D underscore season says, when will the pain end? I don't know. Next question. At Stewie Jets, will the Jets actually land Trevor Lawrence? Like, if you had to guess right now, yes or no, what would you say? Michael? I'm going to go yes. It's I, I think I, I actually wrote an article today, and I'm going to keep it quick. I did write an article today, JetX, looking at some of the history of teams that have started similarly to the Jets in terms of point differential and starting 0-6, things like that. And it's not a guarantee, but it is about 50-50. So uh, I'll say on the optimistic side, I'll say yes. I think they will finish the job. But I do think whether Gay stays is a big part of that. If they fire him, I definitely think they are likely to get two, maybe three more wins than they would without him. Because that's just what teams have tended to do. But right. I'll lean yes right now. This is a really, really bad team. Right. Uh, I'll go back to the first question because I was kind of kidding. Uh, obviously, we don't know. But I will say, if the Jets do get Lawrence, 
and they can hire a competent head coach, a candidate like our guy, Arthur Smith, I'd be the most confident in the Jets winning a Super Bowl than I've ever been. Not immediately, but I would say in the 2020s, the Jets could actually win a Super Bowl, especially with a guy like Lawrence and a competent head coach and candidate. So hopefully soon, Jack. Um, yeah, as far I, as this- I agree. If they do get Lawrence and a good head coach with him, I would feel really good going into next. Yeah, not I would obviously winning next year, but like that would feel like the start of something that could be probably yeah, probably the main success, especially with Douglas building around. I'd be very happy with the Jets' future. So hopefully next year. Hopefully this is. I mean, it definitely won't be, but hopefully this is the last terrible year for for a while um even if they don't make the playoffs next year at least you know you could hope that they could win seven or eight games with the rookie quarterback and show a lot more progress but going to this next question talking about trevor lawrence yeah i mean there are a lot of bad teams this year me and you were kind of talking about this i wonder if the the covid season kind of impacted this where the good teams they prepared they were ready and you know you can see it in the teams that are five and one six and oh four and two whatever and the bad teams, it just really hurt. I mean, they're because there's a huge discrepancy. And Michael, maybe you can look into the numbers on this, but I would argue this is probably the biggest discrepancy in bad versus good teams that we've ever seen. There's not much of a middle class this year. It's a lot of you're either really good or you're really bad this year. If you look at the top 10, they're all one wins, except for the Jets, who are, are zero wins. I would say the only threats to the Jets are the Washington football team, the New York Giants, and the Jacksonville Jaguars. Maybe the Cincinnati Bengals, but they're not going to take Lawrence. But they are a threat, I guess, to get the number one pick. But I would say that I'm confident in in Minshew and Burrow stealing, you know, a, a game or two more. I, I'll say more so Burrow. I think Burrow can win four. I think Minshew can steal two more games. So that's really the Washington football team and the Giants. And they both have relatively winnable games this year. And I think the other thing that helps them is that their division is so bad that they're all still alive. I mean, for the Jets, it, part of the reason you would keep Gase is because the hope is is – dead i mean if you fire a guy in the middle of the season and you change the energy you don't really feel like an 0-6 team you feel like a 0-0 team and that can sometimes spark into a few upset wins if you if you keep gase the locker room will tune them out you know they're just it's just a losing atmosphere and they'll go on to maybe only win one more game but if you're the giants under a new head coach who's desperately trying to win and same thing with with washington football team in a division where I think the leader only has one win. I mean, you're all still alive. Two so, wins right now with Dallas, but excuse me, still pretty awful. But they're all alive. And Dallas just lost their starting quarterback. So the Eagles, who are having their worst season in forever, are probably the favorites to win it right now. So they're all still alive. So I think that helps the Jets as well. So I, I think there is, and kind of what you were saying, when you start so poorly and not all the times, but there is a sense that it can only go up from here. A lot of the times the team that ends up with number one pick maybe does catch a game or two early and then just drops and their season just keeps snowballing. The Jets, the hope is that they only only win one game. I would hope that they could really secure it with um, with a winless season just because, I mean, I'd, obviously I don't want to be in that, that 0-16 club, but their schedule is so hard that if they tie with really anybody – that strength of schedule will make them look like a better team and they'll get the higher pick or I guess the lower pick um, than any team around them. So really, I think the best thing for the Jets would be to hope that, you know, Washington football team, the Giants, the Jaguars, any of this, the Falcons, I guess any of those teams could maybe get a two game lead on the Jets, you know, hoping that those teams can pick up their second or maybe third games while we're heading into the last stretch of the season, because then I'd feel a hell of a lot better. Um, at J Webb 136 says, how would you expect the team to handle free agency in an effort to build around Trevor, Trevor, Michael, I'll throw this one to you um, because I think there are some questions. I mean, you saw Joe Douglas build around Sam this year. Granted it was 
a different effort than it will be with with Trevor on a rookie con uh, with a rookie contract. But um, if you had to, to make a guess, I mean, how how do you think um, the Jets could try to build around Trevor Lawrence in free agency? Yeah, I, I think there is an advantage if you do land at number one uh, to be able to know that far ahead of time to go into free agency knowing what you're going, knowing about the big decision you're going to make with that draft pick is definitely a big advantage to your approach. So I definitely do think they would be a lot more aggressive and obviously they're in a favorable position cap wise. Part of that is the fact that they're so bad that they haven't, re, haven't had to resign anybody. Part of that is Joe Douglas's approach last off season uh, with a lot of one-year deals. So um, I mean, his first free agent class is, you know, questionable to say the least in terms of the impact his signings have made. But I also think you should let him off the hook um, a decent amount because it doesn't seem like that he and, and not that you excuse him for not trying to win. But it does it doesn't seem like he was too aggressive to really trying to build a foundation. And we've already seen by now with plenty of Jets teams that free agency is not where you build your team. It's the draft and free agency is where you supplement the core that you build with the draft. And it seems Joe Douglas gets that. So in this season with the Jets team that does not have a core and, you know, traded away some of its core pieces with uh, Jamal Adams. Well, you lost CJ Mosley, let Robbie Anderson go. So this is a team that didn't have a core. So if you're adding supplemental pieces like Rashad Perriman, Greg Van Roten, Alex Lewis, Pierre Desir to a team that has no core, those guys aren't going to look good. Guys like Perriman looked good when they were filling in at the end of the season in Tampa Bay uh, and, you know, situations like that. But for this Jets team that needs them to come in and be key starters, they're not going to look good. So still, you don't let them off the hook completely. And there's time for these guys to turn around. But I don't, I don't think he's taking the most aggressive approach. But this next season, I definitely think it will be important for them to do as much as they can for Trevor to avoid what happened with Sam Darnold, you know, having him play road games in Chicago with Andre Roberts as his top receiver, that can't happen for Trevor Lawrence. So there definitely are some quite a few ways they can go outside receiver will probably be top target guard will be another one. Um, it definitely looks like they're going to be wanting to fill both of those guard spots, maybe right tackle. We'll see what George Fant does, but I think that's the biggest thing. Can you find someone on the outside at receiver because you know you have a good slot weapon with Crowder and some more depth with Barrios. An outside weapon at receiver and probably guard is going to be the top priority right. at offensive line. I think he'll probably, and look, he's going to factor in the draft as well. He clearly believes in building for the draft. And you have to remember those Jamal Adams picks are going to be in an effort to build around Trevor, not just the one this year, the third round pick this year, and the one next year, um, and the boatload of cap that they will have as I do expect this to be a good free agency class with the, the co with COVID causing the uh, salary cap to fall. Um, me and me and you, Michael, both like Corey Davis from Tennessee. I think that's a guy to maybe keep an eye on. I think they will try to add an established veteran like that. I know Alan Robinson is another um, that, that Jets fans are into. I know Juju Smith Schuster is another one that people throw up, but I will because, you know, first Chase, Chase Claypool is playing really well. Pittsburgh generally doesn't re-sign receivers. When you look at Mike Wallace, look at Santonio Holmes, Antonio Brown is, I guess he got resigned, but um, they traded him away. But Juju is at his best in the slot. And like you said, Jameson Crowder is one of the best slot weapons in the league. So I expect Crowder to come back and stay. And I think that the Jets are going to look to add one guy in free agency and then another guy on day two of the draft, maybe day one with that second first round pick. If, if a top receiver like Rashad Bateman falls to that Seahawks pick, 
Um, so I'd expect two receivers on the outside there. Uh, and like you said, yeah, I, I think they will go after one of those top guards. Joe Tooney was a guy that Joe Douglas really liked last year. If he shakes free, I think he'll definitely be a signing. If Brandon Scherf shakes free, I could see him as well. So I think they'll add a guard, two receivers between the, the draft and free agency, probably another tackle. They, they'll probably go with Fant for another year just to uh, save resources or whatever, but I could see them drafting a tackle in round three or four or something. Um, and then running back will be the big one, which I think you look to the draft in that probably a, a day two pick as well. Najee Harris, if they go with Arthur Smith, Hey, not Najee Harris running back from Alabama, just like Derrick Henry, big mean runner. Um, just saying that the fit is there. I mean, Arthur Smith could has, have his own Derrick Henry the agency too. John U. Smith, the tight end. John is exactly that. I think they will add another tight end. I would say they'll probably do it like round four or five in the draft, but John U. Smith, if he's available and, and Titans are, trying to re-sign Derrick Henry or something. I could totally see uh, see uh, Arthur going after some of those guys, but we don't know who's going to be the head coach. But yeah, I think that you hit the nail on the head, that Joe Douglas is going to build a lot different around his own quarterback, Trevor Lawrence, than he did with Darnold. Lawrence on a rookie contract, not going to have a repeat of Darnold and just really going to try to surround him with as much as possible. Whereas I think this year he was kind of tearing it down to the studs. Um, with Lawrence, I think he'll start to try to build that foundation. At Ben Thornhill, 199, asked that the Jets trade Darnold to the 49ers. Feels like the best fit. What is the most likely return? He also added, do we have to eat Jimmy G in his contract? Under no circumstance will Joe Douglas trade Darnold and eat cappers. I mean, unless the, the 49ers are going to do a first in Jimmy G or something, something along those lines where you just eat the cap and you get the pick. Um, it would have to be something like that for them to even consider taking it on because it wouldn't make much sense. I mean, Douglas could probably turn around and trade him to Chicago or Indianapolis or Pittsburgh or any of those teams for a second round pick at worst, a third round pick and at best a first, but probably a second uh, and not have to eat a, a Jimmy Garoppolo contract or anything. So. Yeah. Um, and, and the diners can cut Jimmy Garoppolo after the season and take off per, or they can save most of the deal and not have to eat that much dead money. If they cut him after the season, it would be 24.1 million in savings, only 2.8 dead cap. Oh, so yeah, okay. they, so they can get rid of him. Pretty, they don't, no. no one needs to eat the deal. Yeah, if never they mind. want to move on from him, they can just cut him and pick up whoever they want to. That's, that's Michael doing his research on these questions right there. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I would say as far as the most likely return, it's going to be a package of picks. Um, I could see, you know, a two and a five, maybe a one, but probably not. Maybe a three and a four or three and a two next. It's just going to be some combination of that. Um, of day two, early day three picks for, for Darnold, which, um, you know, those are all valuable. I mean, especially if you're going to get a guy like Trevor Lawrence, I mean, getting Lawrence and trading Darnold for a two and a, and a four or something that could really help this team. Those, those picks are valuable. Um, when you just look at across the league, a lot of talent comes out in those day two and early day three picks. Um, at New York underscore Nick says, what's going on with Mims and Hall? Both, uh, well, Mims is on IR. Hall, I think he's also on IR. He's on some other designation, but I don't. Yeah, I believe Bryce Hall's on the non-football injury list, which, which means he's still recovering from, because you can, if you enter the season with an injury, if a, if a prospect, a rookie, enters the season with an injury that they suffered in college, then you're eligible for the non-football injury list because it didn't occur while you were in the NFL. So this, that means he's still recovering right. from the injury at Virginia. And, and then I, like I, you said, Mims returned, returned to practice, but still an IR. So I guess maybe this week he can I come think, back. But I think wasn't bless Austin on that list as well last year. 
He was, I believe so. So, so I, you know, no, never know. We don't, sure. I have no idea about Hall. Maybe he could come back for a second half. I'd like that. I'd like to see what, what they have in him because he was a guy that many people had as a, as a second round pick or even a third round pick, but because of the injury, he fell all the way to the jets. So if he could come back, you know, week 13 or something, we get four weeks of him and just kind of see where he is and say, okay, this is a guy that could contribute next year and compete for a starting spot. That'd be great with Mims. I expect him to be back this week. And, with every week, I think he'll get more snaps. He's a guy that I would really like to see. Obviously, I want the Jets to keep losing, but I'd love to see him, um, you know, make an impact. Yeah, and I mean, Mims is the type of player who, if you do win games, you would prefer for it to, to be led by players like him. If you win games because of Denzel Mims, because of Mekhi Becton, George Fan, LaMichael P. Ryan, then, then you could live with that because you're being, you're being pulled away from Lawrence, but you're doing it because of guys who can help you next year and for years to come. So if you are going to win games, guys like Mims are the ones who you want to lead you to those wins. Yeah. The best case scenario for the jets is that all those other teams that have one win right now can get maybe two more wins. They can get to three wins. And then you're entering that last few weeks of the season winless or whatever. And you're getting to the point where it's okay. They've locked up getting the number one pick. They'd have to win three games at the end of this, whatever. And then you can cheer for the jets to, to win a game or two, you know, you can go back to cheering for the young players to win them a game and not be on the winless team list, but still end up with that number one pick. That's what I'm cheering for right now. Cause I don't want to be in that Owen 16 club, but I will gladly take being Owen 16. If the jets get number 16 in 2021, Mike, you see how I did that. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, it was, it was pretty obvious, but yeah. still, okay, still, whatever. still well executed. I enjoyed it. Okay. At sports underscore fiend with a three, he has three questions again, but we split them up this time. So they're scattered around rapid fire. Here we go. If you were a sports agent for one of the top head coaching candidates uh, in 2021, uh, who would you both want to represent other than King Arthur? Okay. So I guess we can throw (laughs) this question out. Uh, And what would be your sales pitch to get them the best deal for the New York Jets? Well, other than King Arthur, I would say I like Dable a lot. I mean, BNEME's up there as well. I'll go with, I'll go with Dable um, just because I, I like that he was under Saban. I like that he was under Belichick. He's had a lot of experience. Um, what would be my sales pitch to get them to the New York Jets? It's Trevor Lawrence. I mean, let's do it two ways, Michael. So this one's not going to be as rapid. Well, I think he said the sales pitch as the agent pitching them to the Jets. So how would you pitch the head oh. coach to the Jets? He's not Adam Gase. <laughs> that would be my sales pitch. Well, it depends. I mean, Oh, okay. I guess I see what he's saying. So, because we've already gave the sales pitch for Arthur Smith. Well, for Brian Dable, it would obviously be the work that he's done with Josh Allen. The fact that he has experience under arguably the two best football minds in today's NFL and Saban and Belichick. Um, he looks exactly like Joe Douglas. So there's that. Um, so that would be my sales pitch. But if it was the reverse way, what's my argument for, for the Jets? It would be Trevor Lawrence. And obviously, on the fact that you get this guy on a rookie contract and you get to do whatever you want with him. And then we're trying to build a culture and you look at, you know, look, I like Joe Douglas's draft class a lot, despite the fact that none of them, none of them have played blah, blah, blah. If they have, if they don't have Darnold or if they don't have Lawrence and they have to roll with Darnold, it gets a little bit more tricky, but Michael, I guess you answer, um, pick a guy and, and, and pitch him uh, to the jets and then maybe do vice versa. If we don't have Lawrence. Yeah. So I'm going to go with, Todd Munkin. And I think there is a lot to like about his resume because there are a few different kind of coaching candidates you see thrown around. There are the up and coming coordinators. There are the guys who are more hardened head coach, veteran head coaches who have been around, whether it's a, you know, not that I would want them to hire these guys, but you see the big names like Jim Harbaugh, guys like that. So you see both sides of the spectrum, but Munkin has a really good 
blend of a lot of different traits. He was OC in Tampa Bay from 2016 to 18 and had them really producing, putting up big numbers, even with, they did have wide receiver talent, but they had O-line struggles, never had much of a run game. Jameis Winston, obviously he wasn't the greatest quarterback of all time, but they put up really good offensive numbers under Todd Monken and really set, started setting some records over his last year there. So he has experience recently in the NFL as an offensive coordinator, putting up big numbers. So he has the hot coordinator stuff, but he also has head coach experience, Southern Miss from 2013 to 15, and he rebuilt that program. Program Now he's at Georgia. He's their offensive coordinator doing some good things there. He's been an assistant both in college and the NFL. So uh, he's also worked on both sides of the ball. So there's a lot to like with him. He has head coach experience. He's been a very productive coordinator in the NFL in recent years. He's in college right now, which is important, I think, because we see so many guys come from college, bring those principles over uh, and apply those to the NFL. Uh, we're seeing it in Carolina and in just so many places where, you know, college principals are coming up to the pros and they're making it easier for young guys to come in and adapt rather than forcing them to adapt to the NFL, the NFL is adapting to them. So the fact that Monken has been productive in the NFL recently as an offense coordinator and in college, and he has head coach experience, um, there's a lot to like with him. And, you know, the one dark spot is the 2019 season with the Browns, which he was their OC. That only lasted one year. Wasn't too successful, but I think I'm willing to blame that more on Freddie Kitchens than him because the rest of Monken's or Todd Monken, Monken, whichever one. But what Monken. I know I'm making sales pitch for him. I don't know how to pronounce his name, but he has a great resume. And if they did go with Arthur Smith is my guy, but he Monken hey, might be hey, number hey. two. He's our guy. He's yes, he's our guy. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, he's, he's an interesting candidate for sure. I mean, there's a lot of them and we have a lot of time to dissect them. Um, your pitch was certainly a lot more in depth. So I'm sure that Joe Douglas would probably go with Monk and over Dable there, but, um, um, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of candidates to like here, I I think. And I'll say this for for the next question about this, but, um, I think the biggest thing that Joe Douglas is going to be looking for is not necessarily a top coordinator, top offensive line. It's who can build that culture, who can be that CEO, but we'll talk about that in a later question. Uh, at Franklin Drebin, two Bs right there, uh, says, could this team go down as worse in history? Michael, what do you think? I mean, I think you compared him to some of the 0-16 teams. Yeah, I, I think there's, def- there's definitely a realistic chance. I'm going to say no, just because for them to be the worst team ever is going to, you know, it, it's going to take a lot. It's going to take 10 more games of exactly what we saw the first six. Uh, if they can do that, they definitely can be, maybe, you know, join the 0-16 club maybe be the worst team of all time, which probably is owned by that Lions team. I think they are better, or the Browns were better than, the, the 2017 Browns were better than that 08 Lions team. So they're definitely capable of it. I'm just not going to bet on it because most teams that do start like the Jets do, they get their winner or two somewhere down the line. So I'm going to bet no, but they're absolutely capable of it. Yeah, I'm sorry, Dan Rolofsky. I still think that that, that uh, 2007 Lions team is – uh, is the worst 2008 2008. <laughs> 2008 sorry my bad 2008 Lions team was the uh was the worst in history uh and I'd still say that the uh 2017 yeah 2017 Browns are worse than actually I think they could compete with the 2017 Browns a little bit but I still think that Lions team is is the worst um would you rather the Jets win a Super Bowl with or this is from at Bulls 56 under underscore Mike would you rather the Jets win a Super Bowl with Sam or Trevor it's a stupid question but I feel like winning with Sam would make me feel better it's like Trevor is a cheat code 
I don't care who they win with. I mean, they could win with with Michael at quarterback. I mean, actually, that'd be pretty great. But um, that would be the best Super Bowl ever because <laughs> I can't really throw a football. So that would be amazing. Can't throw a football? How how far could I you can throw, throw a football? it? Can I throw it at an NFL level? No. Can you throw? Okay, NFL size ball. Can you throw it fifteen yards? Yes. Okay. Well, then you're already <laughs> then you're me, already just then you're a skinny twenty year old who okay. cannot does not have NFL talent. If okay, they won a Super Bowl with me, it would be very impressive. But if you can throw it fifteen yards, you're already as good as Drew Brees is right now. So if you're in the right system okay. with the right personnel, That's true. maybe you could. Um, and definitely better care. than Christian Hackenberg. I don't care whoever. If the question is, is what do I think is more likely? Definitely Trevor. Um, at Jets Discord, does prospective Jets head coach Arthur Smith benefit from having Derrick Henry as his running back to a point? where we might need to question his reliance on a running running back of his caliber to execute Smith's running scheme. Is his running back, is his scheme running back independent? This is a great question. Um, look, I like Arthur Smith for a lot of the things that he does that aren't, that aren't Derrick Henry. A lot of the, the designs that he runs, the, the play calling is smart. Um, the pre-snap motion, a lot of the things that he, that he does offensively. If Derrick Henry were to go down, that would be a good test to see. I do think that he needs a good running game, but as we've seen with, with San Francisco this year with Raheem Mostert, you don't necessarily need a good running game uh, or running back to have a good, you don't have to just, this is a clusterfuck of a sentence. You need to have a great running back to have a good running game is what I was trying to say. Um, Joe Douglas firmly believes in that offensive line. If the jets continue to invest in the offensive line, you can draft somebody with that second or third round pick. Uh, and you'll for the most part, have a good running game. So I think if, if Smith, has a running game, I think his, his system will work. I don't think it's as reliant on Derrick Henry as a player, as much as it is reliant on on building off that running game that he has, and that's what opens up a lot of the things downfield. But he doesn't need Derrick Henry ripping off 94-yard runs, right, rushing for 200 yards. Sure, that's nice. But if he can get you know a solid 100, 150 yards on the ground, running back by committee, um, I, think, I think his offense will be just as good in New York. Michael? Yeah, I agree with you. He definitely is run game dependent that I mean that's what he builds his offense around to set up the play action game and specifically you know outside zone runs getting his offensive line on the move you know moving laterally creating movement and motion to to be unpredictable uh, to keep the defense on its toes so he does rely on the run game but is Derrick Henry carrying Arthur Smith I don't think so and Derrick Henry's fantastic definitely the probably the best rusher at running back in the league, obviously he doesn't bring much as a receiver, but pure running, he might be the best. If not, he's top three to five. So he's great. But Derrick Henry, before Arthur Smith came in, was not the Derrick Henry we know now. His numbers the first three years were solid, but I mean, he's, you know, he his career high was 2018, 66 yards per game. Overall, first three years, he averaged 49 per game. And now last two years with Arthur Smith, over 100 yards per game both last year and this year. So uh, he, he's fantastic, but running backs don't carry offenses unless right. they have ridiculous receiving ability. Running backs are more of a, they, the running backs benefit more from the offense than the offense benefits from them really right. more often. And, and we see it all the time when running backs get hurt. And I would say just keep on chugging. And I would say that, yeah, you look at Carolina with, with Christian McCaffrey, right. I would say that his work that he did with Ryan Tannehill trumps anything that Derrick Henry is is bringing to this offense because Derrick Henry is a great player like you said in 2018 but it wasn't until Ryan Tannehill got in there with Arthur Smith and he worked his wonders that this team took off so I think it's a fair question I'm sure many people will pose it um but yeah and I think it's more overall personnel because they have right. a good offensive line right 
Tannehill is a great fit for what he's doing. And they've underrated solid receivers and tight end with John U. Smith. So more overall personnel. Like, would he make this Jets offense good? Probably not. I don't think anyone could. So it'll be dependent on whether you can get all the pieces for him. But just Derrick Henry, I don't think he carries Arthur Smith. Yeah, and, and as I said, the, the biggest key is he needs a running game, but he doesn't necessarily need an amazing running back. And I think right. that is something that Joe Douglas will be looking at. As we said, Najee Harris, he's right there. Yep, in Alabama, Braids, running back. He has the hurdles. He's big. He's a tough runner. I don't know. Just saying. <laughs> Keep an eye out for it. At Gino to Wosu TD, my favorite ad so far. Um, what's the light at the end of the tunnel? Last time this team made the playoffs, I was in the eighth grade. Talk me into hope for 2021, please. Last time they just went, I think we were in we were in fifth, fifth grade. grade fifth grade. Wow, <laughs> yeah. So equal arguably more depressing. Um, given that we're both in our 20s now. Um light at the end of the tunnel is that number one pick. I mean, if if it, they don't get the number one pick, it gets a little bit more murky. I mean, do they then go a higher Greg Roman and try to right. draft and, the Trey and Lance? That's exactly or... the thing. It's like I do I do not like seeing the Jets lose and be being this bad. But the number one thing that can save you from this hole that they're in is a guy like Trevor Lawrence. And I would rather them lose as many games as it takes to get him than beat the Chargers or the Raiders. Get a couple of yay, twenty to twenty to seventeen win with twenty yards of offense. I, I would rather not win those games, just suck it up for one more season and get that light of the end of the tunnel in Trevor Lawrence. So uh, I don't like watching this, but if we can just deal with it for one more season, I feel like there is a very, very legitimate light at the end of the tunnel after this season. All right, here we go. We've said rapid fire now, maybe three times. <laughs> we really mean it here. Uh, at sports underscore fiend with a three. With Sam most likely to be traded by the deadline or during the upcoming offseason, what was your favorite Darnold highlight during his career with the New York Jets? Michael, I'll go to you first. That's a oh, tough one, man. This is, this is not it, rapid this fire. This is a tough one. This is because he did have so many really good highlights, and probably will have some more. Um, the first one that oh, oh, oh now that now that I got this one, it's pretty easy. It's the the touchdown to Robbie against the Cowboys, the deep shot. Oh, that's probably it. I would say the scrambling touchdown is rookie year against Buffalo, maybe. Um, the, I mean the the. The one against Denver, I think overall is probably his most impressive highlight just as a run. I know as a thrower that didn't do much, but as a runner, that was probably the most surprising. Um, but I, I certainly would say that that was uh, my favorite play. But overall, I'll go with the, the rookie run around to, to Robbie. At Sports underscore Fiend with the JD Firesdale in full swing, who are your top three players that could be traded before the trade deadline in November? Um, probably Steve McClendon. No, but um, that there are... St- so many guys, I guess, who could be on the table. I mean, I mean, with McClendon going for just a six, it makes you uh, makes it seem like they would be willing to trade almost anybody for anything at this point. Um, I guess Avery Williamson is one. It's probably been mentioned a lot. They restructured his deal, so he's pretty cheap at this point. Uh, and you could get Blake Cashman more playing time. Um, so I think Williamson comes to mind first. Any, anyone for you? Yeah, I mean, I think the one thing that that McClendon trade proved, and, and look, I'm happy for, I think it's a win-win for both sides. One, McClendon wasn't going to come back next year. It's already a lost season. Um, they can get a pick. And those picks are are low value, but when you look at it, is those are the types of picks that day two, day three of the draft, and you're trying to trade up in the third round or something or the fourth round, 
that's a type of pick that you can kind of just tag on to the end of a deal and, and move up for a player you like. So it's, it's as value. Um, and for him, he, he gets to finish his career with, with a contender and not be on an 0 16 team. So I actually think it's, it's a win-win. And the other thing is, I mean, you lose a locker room guy like that. I think that the players will really start to tune out the coaches because he was probably the leader of the team. Um, but outside of that, I mean, Brian Poole, maybe. I think he has some value. I like him, though, so I don't know if I would move him. I, I mean, Poole actually is a good candidate because as much as I like Poole, he's playing well, played great last year, playing well right now. He is the type of guy who you probably want to sell high on because, right. you know, he is uh, – I mean, he's a slot corner. They're extremely volatile. It's hard for them to maintain their good play. And these two years are outliers versus the rest of his career. So he is a good sell-high candidate. You could make a case for Marcus May, and I'd actually be interested to hear your thoughts on it because, you know, May will be 28 next year. McCagnan loved his old rookies. Um, they did draft Ashton Davis uh, in the third, or Joe Douglas drafted Ashton Davis in the third last year, who is a free safety. May, the strong safety experiment, looked good in week one, but wasn't as good since then. He's been moved back to free safety. And so are you gonna, he's going to be a free agent next year kind of raises the question, are you going to pay him to be a starting free safety and have the guy you just drafted who had a really good training camp be more of the third safety versatile piece, which I think might be what suits Davis for right now. Um, Or do you let him walk for free or do you trade him now and try to pick up, you know, he did have that butt interception. So his stock is is relatively high, you know, try to pick up a third or a fourth or something for him. Um, Michael, what are your thoughts on May outside of him though? Maybe, I think anybody is on the table. Avery Williamson, maybe. Um, Jay, I mean, I don't think they'll trade Jamison Crowder because I think he's such a good slot piece and you want him for your young quarterback. Um, but he's probably the only other jet with value. But I, I would say anybody outside of Darnold, and Darnold is only because if you somehow win a few games with Joe Flacco or, or Mike White or James Morgan and you're not picking one and then you're not getting Trevor Lawrence, you kind of screwed yourself. So um, I think Sam Darnold is probably the only player on this team, and Mackay Becton. Sorry, any of the rookies, Sam Darnold, uh, are probably the only guys who are who are untouchable. Even Quinn and Williams, I could see if, if Joe Douglas gets the offer that he got last year, I think Quinnen could be on the move. But yeah, and I guess a lot of it can come down to the defensive coordinator that they hire next season. You could even hold on to him and wait and see what time scheme he wants to run. Maybe if they run a cover two heavy scheme. You could have May and Davis both playing deep next to each other. Uh, but it is really interesting because both of these guys are better fits as deep safeties that more so than in the box. Right. So, uh, and, and because Marcus May wasn't drafted by Joe Douglas, he'll, Douglas probably is more inclined to trade him. But I do think May is one of the few good pieces you have in this right. team. He's not necessarily young. He's going to be 28 next season, as you said, but um he is, you know, he's in his prime and he is, doesn't have a ton of mileage on him. And, you know, again, he's just one plainly one of your only good players as long as he's in that free safety role. So I lean towards wanting to keep him, but I, I could see why they would want to trade him. But if they are going to trade him, they really have to feel good about Ashton Davis filling his shoes because he's a good free safety and good players are hard to find. Jets fans right. know that. So I would prefer for them to keep him, but I could definitely see them trading him because of the uncertainty with scheme fit and the fact that he's not a Douglas guy. Right. And the other thing to remember is that it's not Madden or fantasy football. There's, there's a chance that Joe Douglas could want to keep Marcus may when it comes to March and free agency, but Marcus says, look, he traded my best friend of the team. I've been here for four years and it's been five years at this point. 
No, it's been four. Four years, and it's been an absolute dumpster fire since I've been here. I don't think we're getting any better. Um, there's a chance that Marcus May says, look, I want to go take my talents to Tampa Bay or Seattle or Green – not that any of those teams need it. Green Bay, just a winning team, and I want to experience winning in the league because you're right. I am 28. This is probably the last big contract I'm going to get. I don't think Douglas, as we saw from last year, and considering he drafted – Davis is going to shell out a big contract. So I will say it right now. I do think Marcus May is going to be traded. I think Joe Douglas is interested in losing the rest of the games, getting the number one pick for all the reasons we just mentioned. I think if he can get a third for him, he will absolutely do it, which is solid value for a second round safety. I mean, I don't want to get rid of him in the sense that he's one of our few good players. He still is in his prime. Um, And depending on the defensive coordinator, you could keep both of them, but I'm going to go on a limb here and say that he gets traded outside of him maybe another small trade, but I would say, I think may is the, is the other, uh, the only other one that I could really, uh, really see happening at sports underscore fiend is last question. Can we please stop calling Adam Gase and offensive guru at this point? Why does he have a 37 year old Frank Gore taking more carries than the rookie running back, Michael P Ryan, when we all know Gore has gone after the season beats me. I, I don't think we even have to spend any time on this question. If we knew maybe we would like him a little bit more, but, uh, Clearly, he doesn't really have the answers. I think he's just comfortable with Gore and, and P. Ryan dropped that ball and his confidence was shaking a little bit. But absolutely, after saying all week and the fact that P. Ryan's a draft pick and Gore's not going to be here, P. Ryan should totally be getting uh, the majority of the carries. And Michael, you even pointed out that his protection was actually very good, um, that he didn't allow a single pressure. Yeah, and there was that play with Flacco taking the sack that uh, P. Ryan, I mean, P. Ryan allowed the kind of allow the pressure that made it happen but i really don't think that was his fault flacco just drifted straight into it if flacco stepped up it wouldn't have looked like pressure at all so it wasn't the greatest play by p ryan but i think that one was on flacco but like you said overall in protection he was very good in this game for the most part yeah and finally the and and just one more thing on p ryan i i I really do like p ryan i don't think he's going to be the starter next year uh, unless he really has a, a an absolute ball or, t- you know, last 10 games of the season. I still think he's going to be paired um, with a rookie running back next year, but I, I do like him. I think he's a solid third and down running back. Uh, and I'm sure that Douglas at some point, if he's going to keep gaze, he's going to start to push, you know, Ashton Davis to get more reps, the Michael P Ryan to get more reps, Cameron Clark to get more reps. I think he's going to start to push to see his draft class uh, in action um, over these next 10 games. If Gase is going to stay, even regardless of Gase is, uh, is fired. Um, I think that's something to keep an eye out for is, is the rookies start to get more and more um, action. Our last question from at underscore Westoff underscore Joe Douglas is short, uh, short list for head coach, or at least some reasoned guesses. And Michael, we've talked about this head coaching question a lot. We're going to keep talking about it for the next 10 weeks. Um, let's talk about some out of the box candidates. Are there any outside of the Arthur Smith, Eric Bianami, Brian Dables, candidates that you think that could be joe douglas's guy and what i was going to say earlier is you have to remember his his mentor is ozzy newsome and ozzy newsome went out of the box with that john harbaugh hire in, in 2008 and it turned out to be a home run i mean with, with harbaugh um so i think and joe douglas has talked about it since the beginning he wants to build the best culture in sports so more so than finding a good offensive coordinator or a good defensive coordinator it's going to be about who can be the ceo for this team who can build the culture like a john harbaugh did that is going to be the number one most important thing for him because regardless of, of what you bring to the table as, as a head coach, all the good head coaches, they have the ability to have some your players buy in. And I think that's Joe Douglas knows, and that's going to be the number one thing. So while we all want Arthur Smith, and I think Arthur Smith can do that, 
it wouldn't surprise me if he goes out of the box here, maybe a special teams coach or, or a defensive coordinator or, or whatnot. So Michael, or an office coordinator we're not talking about. So Michael, who are maybe some of the out of the box candidates? And this is also important to remember if the Jets don't get Trevor Lawrence, if they, if they win a few games, they're going to have to go out of the box. They're going to have to hire somebody who's not uh, in that, you know, upper echelon of, of head coaching candidates, which a lot of times does work out for a team. So Michael, who are some of the out of the box head coaching candidates for Joe Douglas? Since we've already talked about a lot of the, the people we think uh, will be interviewed for the job. Yeah. I, I think one guy who actually, you know, has been discussed a little bit, I think among Jets fans, maybe Matt Campbell from Iowa state is, you know, you talked about culture being important and Campbell does a lot, offer a lot from an offensive play calling standpoint, but he's also been a head coach now in his fifth year with Ohio, with, with Iowa State. So um, it definitely does. To be able to get a guy who has head coaching experience, even if it's in college, is definitely important. And, and it, it, it's an advantage that the, a lot of the coordinators don't bring to the table that is for a team like the Jets that, as you said, are looking for someone who can really turn around, you know, not just develop a quarterback, but to turn this entire team around. Uh, that is important. So I think Campbell is someone to keep an eye on. Yeah, I think. And the guy you went with earlier, Munkin, is, is probably considered yeah. out of the box, considering he's the offense coordinator at Georgia right now. Um, I've been looking through a lot of the potential head coach and candidates lists and just trying to find some of these out of the box candidates. Adam Stenovich, who's the offensive line coach for Green Bay, is a guy that a lot of people think will be a head coach. Maybe not this year, but certainly in the near future. I don't know if I'd love that that hire, but he's a guy that Joe Douglas loves him some offensive line, so I could totally see him going out of the box with an offensive line coach or something, which I know it would anger some people. I think you have to look at his uh, his roots in Baltimore, Greg Roman and, and Don Martindale, the offensive and defensive coordinators. Those are guys that I'm sure will get interviews. Um, you know, Rex Hogan is in the, the scouting department from Indianapolis. Matt Eberflus is the um, defensive coordinator there. Nick Skirani is the offense coordinator. So some of those guys, when you go through his roots, those are kind of the out of the box candidates. I think that they will end up with Lawrence and I think that they will end up getting one of those Dayball Smith B and Yemi type of candidates, but I could very well see them going completely out of the box. And I think Matt Campbell is a very good one. I, I, I would say that he's probably in my top five, most likely guys as well, just because he is out of the box. Um, but more so he's, he's, can be a CEO. He's proven he can be a head coach. He can establish a culture uh, and he's an offensive mind. So I think he checks a lot of boxes um, for the jets um, but Michael, I think that's going to do it for our mailbag. Um, yeah, we don't have any more questions here, but we really appreciate everybody submitted questions. Um, we'll probably keep doing this every week because it's going to be a nightmare trying to think of topics every week because it's pretty much just fire Adam Gase and, and hope they get Trevor Lawrence for the next 10 weeks. Um, but we appreciate everybody submitted them. Michael, uh, any last words? Um, I mean, I guess we're all just going to have to deal with this for 10 more weeks, this boredom. But I mean, Darnold comes back this week so i guess there's more oh, intrigue with him i mean i guess you're right maybe he won't because i guess he has to have his three game absence every well, adam, year adam gates didn't make it sound like he was going to play today so he might we're yeah, recording this on so, monday i mean i mean i guess when he does come back it's still going to be weird because i mean a lot of us aren't even not that we're not rooting for him but you know we want to see them get you know we're talking about lawrence like we've already moved on from him so right um, but I, I would still like to see him do well uh, just for his sake, because he is, you know, there's nothing not to like about Sam Darnold. So for him to succeed, if there is a way for them to, for him to succeed, you know, get traded to a team where he can play well, hopefully in the NFC jets to get good um, draft picks for him. 
if after he can improve his trade value and the Jets can get Trevor Lawrence, that would be a really good perfect storm there. But um, it, I guess, I guess we're all aboard the tank right now. At least you and I are. Right. I, I would say I almost hope they shut him down for the season because I don't feel bad watching Joe Flacco lose, but I always feel bad for him. They cut to Sam and he just has those puppy dog eyes and he's just getting absolutely killed. Um, so it's hard for me to watch him lose, but I agree. I, I hope that he comes in and plays well. You know, the big picture of me fan in me is, is hoping that they, they lose every game, but I still am cheering for Darnold on a personal level. Um, Michael, one year ago today, actually recording this on Monday, I was driving down to the Jets Patriots game and witnessed probably the worst game the Jets have played this decade. Um, and who would have thought that a year later, it's, it's even worse than, than that night. So, and we, well, when you were in the process of doing that, things were very optimistic, right? I thought they were, that's the only reason I was going, they just beat Dallas. I was like, you know, it's going to be Monday night football. I could see that's probably the peak of Sam Darnold's, uh, the hope surrounding him. Yeah, they, they were calling him later. They were calling him about next year's quarterbacks. Do you remember that? Demarius Thomas is calling him flick. You remember that? That was his nickname for about six hours. <laughs> but um, yeah, so who would have thought things could get worse? But there is a light at the end of the tunnel, and it's number 16. If not, it, it's a lot <laughs> a lot dimmer, but there is still hope um, once Adam Gase is out of here, at least. that's That would be the biggest um, piece of hope is, is getting rid of Adam Gase. But you can follow us at CYJPod on Twitter. You can follow Michael at Michael underscore Nania. You can follow myself at Ben W. Blessington. You can find us at JetsXFactor.com, the best place to go for Jets content. You can uh, listen to us on iTunes, Spotify. You go to manscaped.com, get yourself a, a ball trimmer. If your uh, nether regions are looking like Adam Gase's beard four weeks ago, you can clean it up. Use code CLEARJETS, free shipping, 20% off. Michael, I think that's going to do it. So, uh, yeah, we'll wrap it up. And as I said at the beginning, you don't, don't let this Jets – I said at the beginning of the, of, the, of the season, don't let the Jets ruin your life. Right now, this is healthy Jets viewership. It's, it's just like watching a comedy show for, for an hour. Down most likely. There goes Gunner to the 40, to the 30, breaks the tackle at the 20, 10.